All right, Holy Spirit, we thank you so much for your presence here in this place. Lord, we thank you. Lord, I pray for every single person that's going to be listening to this, because there's going to be people hearing this through the internet. There's going to be people hearing this driving down the road, people in other countries, um, all over, Lord. I thank you this word will get out there. Lord, I pray for every person. And those that are here, please agree with me. The Bible says, if two agree, it'll be done. Lord, we come together in agreement. Lord, there be an awesome anointing on the, on the word of the Lord tonight. Lord, that your glory would be thick. And Lord, that by your spirit, you'll captivate us all. Help us. Jesus would say, those have eyes to see and ears to hear what the spirit is saying. Lord, give us eyes, anoint our eyes and ears. Help us have eyes and ears of the spirit to see and hear and perceive what the spirit of God is speaking. That it's not just understood with the natural intellect, but it's understood by the Spirit. And Lord, I pray that as I speak this word, that the light of truth would be released that will dispel any darkness or deception or lies of the enemy. That will just drive that back. And Lord, will release life and truth and revelation. Let your word be, as Jeremiah saw, a mighty hammer that literally shatters the strongholds as they come down. Because strongholds are lies of the enemy that are believed. Let the hammer of God break down those lies. Let the sword of the Lord cut away everything that needs to go. And Lord, we thank you the word, the seed and the sower, the word goes out as living seeds of truth sown into good fertile soil of hearts and minds and lives all over the world, watered by the Spirit of God that will take root, grow and produce a hundredfold harvest of eternal fruit that remains until Jesus comes. Lord, that you not only would water this seed, but we ask that your Holy Spirit would guard Lord, this that is released and make sure that the enemy, the birds of the air, are not able to steal the seed, but that it goes forth as the Bible says and accomplishes everything that it is sent forth to do. Amen? The word will go forth and accomplish everything that it is sent forth to do. Lord, we thank you for it now. We bind away any resistance and we thank you, Lord, for a release right now of the Spirit of God and the Word of God. To fulfill everything that you have planned for it to do. In Jesus' name, we pray these things. We believe it is done. Amen. All right. Part six is the sword that divides. I've been dealing with end time mixture and deception. All right. I'm going to give you this. Listen, it is so important. If I get every person to really focus on what I'm saying and hear this, it is so extremely important that you understand that it is not. The focus should not be a fear in the deception. Are y'all hearing me? Jesus did say that times would be so deceiving that if it were possible, even the elect would be deceived. But notice he said if it were possible. This is why. In Jude verse 24, it says, Now to him who is able to keep you from stumbling and to make you stand in his presence of his glory, blameless with great joy. So the Lord is able to keep us. Amen. So that's, I want you to understand that as I'm dealing with end time deception and mixture, that the fear of being deceived is not your friend. Okay. Do not have a fear of being deceived. Rather, you need to have a faith in the Lord to keep you. That's where it's got to be. And you've got to stay humble. And I'll deal with all that. All right. I've covered a lot of ground and I cannot go back. So some of this, if you haven't heard previous sermons, may be over your head a little bit. But I can't go back and bog down with it. It'll be too long. So that's the first thing I want to point out. I have faith in the Lord to keep me in these last days. I'm not worried about it. I have faith in Him because His Holy Spirit lives in me. And the Bible says the Spirit of God will seal me and keep me. Amen? So I'm not worried about it. 
So I'm not afraid of being deceived because I have faith in God, but at the same time I have wisdom, in which I'm going to talk to you about in this sermon again. All right, I talked about, let me give you a quick introduction, just going over some things. We talked about the upcoming blood moons. Now Jesus, uh, I'm sorry, the Apostle Peter quoted from the book of Joel and said that before the coming of the Lord, that he would turn the moon to blood and the sun will not give their light. So you see that there's lunar and solar eclipses. They're coming up. I don't have time to, to go back and explain all that. But as we talked about in previous sermons, it has always been where it started out with tragedy for Israel, but it ended up in triumph. 1492, they were expelled from Spain, but America was made, it was made a way for them here to be protected. Then we know that um, in 1948, they went into great war, but they took the land. 1967, war again, they were attacked, but they took Jerusalem. These have happened on the blood, the four blood moons, the tetrad that falls on feast days. If you don't understand the Jewish feast days, because they're not Jewish, they're the Lord. He said in the Bible, these are my feast. If you don't understand the Lord's feasts in connection with end time prophecy, you're not going to understand end time prophecy at all. And if you think that God is done with Israel, you don't have a clue about end time prophecy and you need to rethink your theology. God's not done with Israel. Okay, he's still working through the nation of Israel. All right, so I dealt with some of the heresy, like, um, for example, replacement theology, things like that. And then we know the year of Jubilee every 50 years. And remember in 1517, I'm not going to get into it this sermon, but next sermon, when God's been doing something significant with Israel, and it would shift, it was like railroad tracks through history, it would shift with Israel, but the church would see a shift. And right in 1517, when Martin Luther split off the Catholic Church, we had a great revival of the gospel because the gospel had been snuffed out. Okay, it is by grace that we're saved through faith. Okay, to this day, the Catholic Church still believes that it's through their church and being right with them and sanctioned by them that you're saved. And it's not, it's through faith in Christ alone that you're saved. Okay, when we saw that shift, it was right at that time that there was a prophecy that there would be eight Jubilees for Israel. And it was exactly 400 years later that in 1917, General Allenby took the land of Israel from the Turks, the Ottoman Empire, World War I. It broke the power of the Ottoman Empire off that land. And General Allenby opened up that land through Britain for the Jewish people to start coming back home. Isn't that something? So 1917, 50 years later, was the 67 War. And what looked impossible... It literally looked impossible. There were three nations that came down to to fight Israel. It was unexpected. They they attacked. And I love this story. It's my favorite story out of this. Because you remember King David was the original that took Jerusalem from the Jebusites. Okay, He was the one that purchased the Temple Mound. Remember? And to see this this modern day warrior for Israel. But his name was Moshe Dion. and, And you can look him up. He's the one that had the patch on one eye. Remember this story? And the, the nations had come in to attack Israel. And this is how it's usually happened. They come in to attack Israel. And Israel's the victim. They didn't even do anything. But then Israel retaliates. And because God is fighting with them, they end up expanding their borders. And I, I expect to see more of that in the future. But anyway, Moshe Dion's sitting there. And he's got his troops with him. And the, and the enemy has been advancing. And they're taunting him. And he's sitting here looking toward Jerusalem. And he's being taunted by the enemy. And some of his own people were saying, why aren't you taking the land? Why aren't you moving forward? 
And Moshe Dion, God had given him a vision. And he said, I'm not moving. He said, there's an angel. I can see him standing right there. And he's got a sword drawn like this in the air. And I'm not moving until the sword comes down. And he, when that sword came down, he took, it, he took Jerusalem. I'm going to tell you, it was against all odds. It was supernatural. God gave him the land. But see, Bible prophecy is going to be fulfilled. When Jesus comes back, he's coming back to Israel. And it's, all the prophecies about Israel will be fulfilled. How many knows the Bible is accurate in truth? And all Bible prophecy is going to be fulfilled. But anyway, all of end time prophecy, everything is going to be fulfilled just as the Bible says it would be. It's going to be complete. Everything is going to be taken care of. And when Jesus comes back, he's going to come back to a land that has been prepared for his coming. That's what the tribulation has to do with. It has to do with preparing Israel. It's the day of Jacob's trouble. All right, so we're looking at a time from uh, 1967 to 2017 when there's another Jubilee year. Then I gave you the Shemitah year. In the Bible, um, under Jewish law, every seven years, something significant, they, they had to let the land rest. The last Shemitah years was we had 9-11 in America. 2008-9, the Dow dropped 777 points. And then we're going to have another Shemitah year from 2014 to 15. So my point is that there's some very significant things. The Bible says in the last days God will show signs in the heavens and wonders on the earth below. Is that not the Bible? Signs in the heavens. Okay? He said, I will turn the moon to blood. There's no way that's going to happen um, other than these blood moons because there's not animals or human life. It's not like bloodshed. There's going to be blood on the moon. It's talking about the blood moons. Okay? And then also the sorrow cycle where it takes 18 years and 11 days or months or whatever to get all the way around the sun back to a beginning point. That's how they predict all these things. Remember I gave you that last week. The early years of the the two sorrow cycles, it fell on the month of Av. And during that time was disaster for the nation of Israel. Then Elul, it fell on the, the, the eclipses fell on Elul, which means returning. And during those years, the Jews were returning back home. And now, this is exciting, now the um, lunar eclipses are going to be falling on the month of Tishri, which is, has to do with the trumpets, the Feast of Trumpets, which has to do with the Lord's coming. I believe Jesus' coming is near, I really do, because all the signs point to it. Remember the sermon where I gave all these different signs of the times? Everything that the Bible prophesied would be happening before the Lord comes is happening in our generation. Everything. It'd be, it'd be questionable if it was just one or two. But you're looking at all of them, all at one time, are happening. And some of these are amazing because some of these prophecies go back 2,500 years ago. And there's no way that these people could have even fathomed this in their own imagination. Because they saw things that, that are happening in these last days through technology that there's no way they could have even seen or imagined it in their time. How could the whole world at one time behold something? They said, John said the whole world would behold the two prophets dead in Jerusalem. But now, with satellites and technology through television, that prophecy will be fulfilled. All right. Just going back through this. So God said, I will give signs in the heavens, wonders on the earth below. And I'm concerned about the lack of of biblical Christianity that I'm seeing in a lot of churches. Because the Bible... As far as what I can read, the book of Acts, the church is supposed to be powerful. Amen? All right. And um, just like, you know, let's just talk about it for a minute. So the other day we had church, we had a prayer meeting, and Sarah had come up and, and had some health issues she was battling. 
And God totally healed her in the service. She came up afterward, all the pain's gone. Amen. You're supposed to be getting healed in church. That's supposed to be happening. There was somebody else that there was a, a demonic torment that left. They were delivered. Okay, you're supposed to be getting delivered in church. All right? And so, this is supposed to be normal Christianity. And what has concerned me is, is that I think that, without meaning to, a lot of people are feeding religion to people. And it's a poisonous fruit, and it's, it's not accomplishing anything. And the Bible warns of it because it says that there would be some that they would have a form of godliness, but they would deny the power. That's what's concerning. They would have a form of godliness, but they would deny power. So it's religious. It looks good. They know how to talk good. They know how to act good. They know all the lingo. They know how to play church really good. They don't need God to show up because they can just play church. They're really good at it. They can go through the ritual. But the truth is that they're feeding people religion. And that's why a lot of our young people over the years have been so desperately hungry for God. It's been because we're not giving them religion to eat. We're letting them uh, be hit by the power of God and touched by Jesus. And it's setting them on fire. Okay, And that's why the Apostle Paul, whenever he was in Athens, he tried to reason with people on an intellectual basis. It was probably, in Paul's ministry, it was probably the dumbest mistake he made, honestly. Because he got up there in Athens and he saw that these people were real philosophical. It was the Greeks. And... Um, Anyway, I'm not going to go off on a tangent about philosophy. I could make fun of it for a while. But anyway, Paul got up there and he said, you know what? I'm going to reason with these people intellectually. So he found this um, little area here and he said, look, this says to the unknown God. And he tried to you know, intellectually reason with them. And they laughed at him. And so he left there and he was ashamed at what happened, I'm sure. And whenever the, the next church he was going to was Corinth, and he said this. He said, I'm not coming with persuasive words. I'm not coming with the wisdom of men. He said, I am coming in the demonstration of the power of the Holy Spirit so that your faith will rest in God and not the wisdom of man. Your faith has got to rest in God. But it's the power of the Holy Spirit that's going to get this accomplished. When Jesus started his ministry, he went to be baptized with John from John, and it wasn't, it wasn't what people think it is. It was a passing of the great high priesthood, but I'm not going to go into that. But anyway, the Holy Spirit came upon him gently like a dove would. It wasn't a bird, but John the Baptist was the only one that saw this. But God had told John, because John was a prophet, he said, the spirit that you see rest on, the man that the spirit rests on, that will be the Messiah. And John had a vision. He saw the Spirit of God come upon Jesus and he said, Behold the Lamb of God that takes away the sin of the world. That's the Messiah. So Jesus started his ministry being clothed with power. And then whenever he went out to face the devil after that and came back, the very first thing he did was open the scroll of Isaiah and read. And um, he said, he read from the passage that said, The Spirit of God is upon me, for he has anointed me to preach good news to the poor. To bind up and heal the brokenhearted, deliver the captive, set those free in darkness, proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. So Jesus was clothed with power, and then whenever he did his earthly ministry, everything he did was by the power of the Holy Spirit. And he's our example. So he went out preaching under the anointing, and that people would say about his preaching, they say he doesn't speak like the, the teachers of the law and Pharisees. He has an authority about him. You know what that was? That's the anointing. 
The anointing gives an authority. There's a punch. There's a power behind what you're saying. Also, he would heal the sick. He would raise the dead, cleanse lepers, drive out demons. This was his ministry. When Jesus had a church service, okay, there were demons coming out of people. They would scream, fall, writhe on the ground, foam at the mouth, demons leave. That was his church services. People would bring in sick. They would be on, they'd be crippled and carried in on cots or whatever. And he would pick them up. He would, they'd be totally healed. They were leaping, rejoicing, running around. This was Jesus' church services. Am I telling the truth? Is this the Bible? Okay. Jesus, they would come to him and say, there's a dead person over here. And Jesus did what the Father was doing. So he went over there, prayed for him. The dead came back to life. And this was Jesus' ministry. How far the church has fallen. And then whenever Jesus goes to ascend, he's standing on the Mount of Olives, and he's talking to his disciples, and he tells them in Acts 1.8, you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you to be my witnesses. In Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, to the ends of the earth. But he put the emphasis on receiving power. Luke 24.49, he said, wait in Jerusalem until you're clothed with power. Because, see, the disciples saw that Jesus could not do what he wanted, what he was supposed to do because he wasn't operating in his office as the Son of God doing things. He was operating under the anointing of the Holy Spirit to do things because he's our example. That's how he operated. You understand that? All right, so Acts 10.38 says how God anointed Jesus of Nazareth with the Holy Spirit and power, and he went around doing good, healing all oppressed of the devil. You and I don't have anything to offer anybody unless we have the power of the Holy Spirit. That's it. You don't, we're not smart enough. We can't figure it out. But the Holy Spirit can help us and give revelation. And he can make the difference. And Jesus told him, he said, you do not start your ministry until you go into Jerusalem, until you're clothed with power. Then you start your ministry. And we all know the story. The day of Pentecost came. The Holy Spirit came in as a rushing mighty wind. They were baptized in the Holy Spirit. They spoke in tongues. They were clothed with power. And then after that, they, they didn't do any preaching before that. After that, the church was born. That's how the church was born, by the power of the Holy Spirit. And you read the, the, New, I mean, you read the book of Acts, and you see the, the disciples everywhere they went. Peter's shadow was healing the sick. There was people being raised from the dead. There was supernatural things going on. And this is what brought people into the faith. Because it was not an intellectual debate. You're not going to be able to intellectually debate people in. Okay, the Bible says that no man can come to the Father unless the Spirit draw him. The Holy Spirit has to draw them. They have to be convicted. On the day of Pentecost when Peter preached, it was more than just a man getting up and saying something. There was an anointing of the Holy Spirit that cut people to the heart. And it says those words in the Bible. And they were convicted by the Holy Spirit. And they said, brother, what must we do to be saved? So these are the days we're living at a time when we need the anointing of the Holy Spirit. We need Pentecost. We need power like never, ever before, probably in church history because we're living in the last days. The church, a lot of the church, not all of it, there's, there's been a great outpouring of the Holy Spirit. But just like Jesus prophesied, and I believe it was a prophecy about the ten virgins, half the church has jumped in revival and half of it is just sitting around ignoring it. Am I telling the truth? Matthew 25, Jesus said that there was ten virgins. All of them were virgins. All of them were God's people. He said five of them were wise and they had extra oil. Five were foolish and they didn't have extra oil. What's the oil in the Bible? The Holy Spirit. So, 
When the bridegroom came, the five that were wise were ready to go. They were taken. The five that were foolish were left behind, knocking on heaven's door, so to speak, wishing they could get in, but it was they were already the rapture already happened, people already gone. And you can see exactly what Jesus said in that parable. Because in these last days, God is pouring out His Spirit on all flesh, and there's revival across the world. And you've got half of the body of Christ that are really going after that. They're going to where God's moving. They're getting that extra oil poured into them. They're, they're, they're wise. They're wise to go and get filled with the Spirit, baptizing the Holy Spirit and all that. And the Holy Spirit is making them ready. And then you've got the other half of the church that are sitting around not getting in the move of God. All right, so let me give you a couple things tonight. Godly division. Sometimes the scriptures have a paradox, but it's, it's a God paradox, so it works. Okay, this is one of them. You remember Jesus told Peter, he said, those that live by the sword die by the sword, so put up your sword, Peter, quit cutting off people's ears. Okay? And then at this other time, Jesus says this, and it seems contradictory if you don't understand. He said, I have not come to bring peace but a sword. Let me read it to you. Matthew 10, 32. Therefore, everyone who confesses me before men, we can't be ashamed of Jesus. Amen. You confess him before men. I will also confess him before my Father who is in heaven. But whoever denies me before men, I will also deny him by my Father who is in heaven. Do not think that I have come to bring peace to the earth, but I have come to bring, I have not come to bring peace, I have come to bring a sword. For I came to set a man against his father, a daughter against her mother, and a daughter-in-law against her mother-in-law. And a man's enemies will be the members of his own household. He who loves his father or mother more than me is not worthy of me. And he who loves his son or daughter more than me is not worthy of me. And he who does not take up his cross and follow after me is not worthy of me. What in the world does that mean? That means when somebody gets saved, their family may turn against them. That's what it means. And you have to love Jesus enough that you're willing to go alone and have your family disown you and persecute you. How many people, including my wife, have had to go through that? Totally disowned by their family, pretty much, because of the faith. So there is a godly division, so to speak, that God's doing. Separating those that are of Him and those that are not. The tares from the wheat. Y'all hearing me? There's a great separation in these last days. Here's some more signs of the times. Jesus said in the last days, and Paul said in 2 Thessalonians chapter 2, he's talking about the Antichrist, and he said that there was a letter supposedly written by Paul, that says that the day of the Lord has already come. And he said, don't be troubled by that nonsense. The day of the Lord has not come until you see, and he said, a great falling away and the man of sin, the Antichrist, rises to power. But listen, he, he predicted a great falling away. And I looked up that word in the Greek and it's apostasia and it means this. An apostate is people that walked with Jesus and then turned their back on him and forsook the faith. <coughs> That's an apostate. This is a sign of our times that we're living that there are apostates. There are people that are falling away that at one time walked with Jesus, professed Christianity, were in church. Now they're an atheist. Now, And I can think of people in my mind. Now they're into witchcraft. Now they're homosexuals. But they have forsaken the faith. They no longer profess Christianity. And Bible prophecy is being fulfilled. So this is a sign of the times that we're living in. And why, why is this falling away happening? Because it's like the earth 
is rumbling and groaning and being prepared for the coming of the Lord. And when Jesus comes, he's going to come for a bride without spot or blemish. The Bible says it. And that means that he's going to do a great sifting. There's a sword that's cutting and it's dividing those that are truly his apart from those that are not. The tares and the wheat that grew up together are being separated right now. You know, it's interesting because when it says that the angels would gather, it says first they would gather those that would be taken and burned. Remember that? And then it would gather those that were the Lord's. And people don't even realize it, but in these last days, the angels of the Lord, Matthew 13, 39, read it, are going out and they're gathering in the harvest and they're separating those that are not of God and those that are of God, they're separating it. And people don't realize it, but some of these that have an an evil spirit about them that are God-mocking, God-haters, and all that, they don't even realize it, but there's something that is beginning to bring them together and bind them up and bundle them. And there's others that are of the Lord that God sees them, and there's something that is bringing them together. Did you all see this? So those that are truly his, 1 John 3, 7, there's people that may have some really bad doctrine that may not like this part of the Bible. But let me encourage you to not get your scissors out and don't cut parts out of the Bible that you don't like. Amen? Okay? Read it and take it for what it says. All right. 1 John 3, 7 says, Little children, make sure no one deceives you. Remember that word deception. The one who practices righteousness is righteous. Just as he is righteous, the one who practices sin is of the devil. For the devil has sinned from the beginning. The Son of God appeared for this purpose to destroy the works of the devil. No one who is born of God practices sin because his seed abides in him. And he cannot sin because he's born of God. By this, the children of God and the children of the devil are obvious. Anyone who does not practice righteousness is not of God, nor the one who does not love his brother. That's pretty cut and dry. There's no room for misinterpretation in that. I mean, it, it is what it is. And let me encourage you to not try to create false doctrine that justifies people's sinful lives. Rather, preach the truth that people need to repent of their sin and get right with God. Okay? Don't make them feel good in their sin. So, what's happened is, is that there's, the Bible says in these last days that there would be deceiving, seducing spirits and doctrines of demons. There's different doctrines of demons, but one of the doctrines of demons is it teaches people that they can say a little prayer and that that's all they got to do, shake a hand, whatever, to you know join a church, and it makes it sound like they're fine. They can live in sin, and they're fine. That's a doctrine of demons. That's not in the Bible. What Jesus is looking for is a born-again experience. And a true born-again experience, a true conversion that's real. God's seed will abide in that person and they cannot continue to live a life of sin because the seed of God, the Spirit of God is in them and the Holy Spirit will change them from the inside out. That is the truth. And what's happening is, is that there's a sifting. The sword of the Lord is dividing and sifting those that are truly His and those that are not truly His. And as we're in the last days, I would encourage people that have eyes to see and ears to hear that they would really begin to pray and fast and really seek God for the salvation of their family and their loved ones. 
because the time is coming to a close. Okay? And let me give you a couple more, and then I'm going to get Brother Zach to play something for you if he has that ready. But just a second, I'll let you know when, but I want you all to hear this. But here's another couple ones, and now I'm going to get Brother Zach to play. It says, those that divide and deceive. Romans 16, 17. So we see the first division, the godly division, is a cutting away. When you accept the Lord, you may be forsaken by others. That's the first godly division. The second is, is God is dividing the tares and the wheat. He's separating those that are truly his and those that are not. The next one is, God is also causing there to be a division and separation from those that are divisive and wicked that are infiltrating churches. And I mean Christians, not just non-Christians. But Romans 16, 17, I urge you, brothers and sisters, to watch out for those that cause divisions and put obstacles in your way contrary to the teaching that you have learned. Keep away from them. Okay? Titus 3.10, Proverbs 6.16-19 talks about divisive people. And God, right now, there's a judgment that is dividing and separating out from revival, separating out divisive people. This is the sword of the Lord. And then the, another one is those that live ungodly. 1 Corinthians 15.33, don't be misled. Bad company corrupts good character. Isn't that the truth? You better be careful who you hang out with, young people. Listen to me. I mean, if you want to fall away, I've seen people do it right and left. Through, through my whole years of ministry, people start hanging around the wrong people. Next thing you know, they're horribly doing bad spiritually. I mean horribly doing bad. And you look at them later and you're just shaking your head in disbelief. How in the world did they get to that place? It's because they got hanging around the wrong people. The Bible says bad company corrupts good character. 1 Corinthians 5.11, now I'm writing you that you must not associate with anyone, listen to this, who claims to be a brother or sister, but is, in fact, sexually immoral, greedy, an idolater, a slanderer, a drunkard, or a swindler. Now listen to this, don't even eat with such people. So there's a godly division, a godly sword that is separating out the remnant apart from those that are not right. Are y'all hearing me? And God is telling those that are of his remnant, of his bride, don't associate with those kind of people. If they call themselves a Christian and a brother and they're living like that, with the, don't even eat a meal. Okay? And I believe God is redefining his people like Pastor Kilpatrick prophesied. I love that prophecy. Redefining. All right, Brother Zach, let me know when you're ready. All right. Y'all listen to this. Crank it up real good. I want you to hear these words. Steve Hill, he just passed on to be with the Lord during the Brownsville Revival, prophesied this before his death, obviously. He prophesied this, and I want you to hear these words, okay? You may have to turn it up on the... ...in toward the mark of the high calling of God in Christ Jesus. And I don't know of anybody that had. Nobody has had what's available. Nobody has had what I think is coming. And it's time that somebody just laid down the gauntlet and said, God, I'm after you. Here it is right here. Y'all listen. Over the last few days, there has been a restlessness in my spirit. I mentioned to pastor that I feel very unsettled. I feel like the ground underneath me is shifting. I feel as if something is about to change. Now the Lord knows I love change. I thrive on the unknown. I enjoy the uncertainties of life. I'm extremely uncomfortable when everything is cookie cutter predictable. When the earth begins...
begins to shift. When I hear roots being pulled up out of the ground. When I feel the wind on my face blowing in a new direction. I like that. Over the last several days, something has been stirring. I can't stop moving around. There is something on the horizon. Something big. I can't touch it yet. I can't gaze upon it with my eyes, but I can feel it. It's there and it's moving closer. My spirit man is speaking loud and clear. He has overridden my carnal nature and is raising his voice. The first time I heard my spirit man was 22 years ago. He told me when I got saved that I was a child of God. My spirit bore witness with God's spirit that I was God's child. Now the spirit of the Lord is telling this child of God that something's up. The Lord would say to everyone in this place, live unsettled. The Lord would say to everyone in this place, live unsettled. Don't sink too deep into the soil of this earth. Keep your head up and your feet moving. Stay alert. Be sober. This morning early, the Lord spoke clearly these two words. I'm coming. The day of my return is at hand. Loose yourself. Loose yourself of any ties that bind. If you don't loose yourself, I'll help loose you. Prepare the way in your own heart and then help prepare the way in others. I want no obstacles. I will have no obstructions. I will return for a pilgrim, people. He said to me, let the church know that the day is approaching. Warn them. Don't wine and dine them. Tell them clearly. Don't mix words. My word, my water is pure. Don't taint it. Make it clear. Let my people know it's about to happen. What is about to occur will change world history. Nothing will remain the same. Let the unbelievers, let the skeptics, let the religious ones know that what they fear the most is about to happen. I'm going to say that again. Nothing will remain the same. Let the unbelievers, let the skeptics, let the religious ones know that what they fear the most is about to happen. Every fear known to man will be swallowed by the terror of the day ahead. Fear will overcome fear. Dread will overcome dread. The violent will be overcome by the more violent. My final work is at hand. My spirit's wooing is about to cease. No one will grieve me anymore. No one will quench my spirit anymore. No one will resist me anymore. Their days are over. Let them know my warm season of grace and mercy will 
legacy passed on into eternity. He left such a legacy. And I'll never forget that prophetic word. He's saying, don't let your feet get sunk down into the soil of this world. Anything that's hindering you, holding you back, get it off. Amen? Get ready for the coming of the Lord. We're living at a, at a crazy time when we're seeing end-time prophecy fulfilled. And the church age as we know it is beginning to come to a close. You understand that? This is the last day harvest, the outpouring of the Holy Spirit. And as sadly, there's a lot of the body of Christ that is totally clueless. And Jesus said that when, the, when he came the first time, he said that he rebuked those that were there saying they didn't know how to discern the seasons of the Lord. They knew how to tell when it was going to be a shift into spring. They knew how to tell when it's about to rain. They could, they could determine the signs of the heavens in that respect, but they couldn't even determine the seasons of the Lord that the Messiah was among them. They couldn't tell. And here we are going in some of the most incredible times. And so much of the body of Christ, I'd say probably half of it is clueless to the day that we live. And the signs that are being fulfilled right before the rise. They don't even know it. They don't know the Bible. But God is redefining his people. Let this be an encouragement for some of you. I'm talking about the prophecy that Pastor Kilpatrick gave about redefining. Just like Peter, um, his name was Simon. Simon means like a reed and it blows in the wind. And that's what you saw with Simon. He was, he was up and down spiritually. But Jesus then proclaimed over him, you're no longer Simon, you're Peter, which means a rock. And Peter became stable. He stabilized spiritually. And after the day of Pentecost, he became a great leader. And you don't ever hear about him being up and down anymore. He was rock solid. Jesus will redefine you. Some of you have had, it's like things have been a certain way. But for you to really do what you're called to do, God's got to redefine you. He's got to break some stuff off. And he's got to start moving in your life in a new and a different way. And I'm telling you that that's what's happening right now if you'll lay hold of it. Okay? Grab hold of that and begin to pray into that prophetic word. But right now we're living in a time where God is allowing us to be like gold refined in the fire by the Holy Spirit and the difficulty of the day that we live. A bride is being prepared. There's a changing of the guard. And I thought about that as Steve Hill died and passed on. There's a changing of the guard. The fathers are passing Their sons and daughters are raising up. So God's going to free people to be able to do what they're called to do. Now let me move quickly. The greatest enemy that you have in these last days is pride. It's your greatest enemy. Let me tell you why. The arrogant will not only be deceived, but will eventually take the mark of the beast. When you read about Leviathan, and I'll read it here in a moment, Leviathan in Job 41, and he's described as a sea monster. And then you take that description of Leviathan, which is the spirit of pride, and you look in the book of Revelation, and you see that beast with seven heads and ten horns. It's a perfect description of Leviathan. You know pride is going to be the foundation that the Antichrist will stand upon. Prideful people will be deceived in these last days. The only way that we're going to have grace is by being humble. Grace is going to be, we need God's grace to be kept. So the arrogant, the deceived, the worldly, they're in danger of losing their lampstand. What does that mean? Revelation 2.5, Jesus said, I will remove your lampstand if you don't return back to me. What does that mean? That means that there's churches out there that have gotten arrogant as we say in Texas a little big for their britches they've gotten deceived they've gotten worldly they've allowed the world in they've allowed things in 
Um, people getting drunk, people having these beer fests. They've allowed garbage in the church, sin in the church. They're not repenting. They keep doing what they're doing. And eventually Jesus will remove their lampstand. What does that mean? It means they no longer have kingdom status. They may still have a marquee in their lawn. And they may still have people that come, but they are not recognized by heaven as a church. We're living in extreme difficulty in times that are refining us. But as the sword of the Lord that's coming upon the earth to divide between the godly and the ungodly, those that are humble will bow down in humility and that sword will pass over. But those that are arrogant will be cut down by the sword of the Lord. Deception is rampant and thick like syrup in these last days. Humility will be what keeps us. Jesus said that the children, you have to be childlike to inherit the kingdom. What is a child like? A child is humble, a child is teachable, and a child is inquisitive, and a child can be rebuked and disciplined. But the prideful won't be able to fulfill their potential. They'll have a strong tendency to be rebellious against leadership, and they'll feel they don't need church. Did Did you know that? You know why so many people are out of church now? Because they're prideful and they don't feel like they need church. When the Bible says, as you see the day approaching, all the more assemble yourselves together, all the more. And in a day when we see Christ coming is near and we see that warning in Scripture, you're seeing more and more people, because of their own pride, think, I don't need all that church garbage. But here's the ungodly division. Let me warn you about this and I'm going to shift gears. That was the godly division. The dividing that God's doing. Heaven is dividing. He's separating, okay? But here's ungodly division. Ungodly division is where Jesus taught us that a kingdom divided against itself can't stand. And so Satan, his number one goal in almost all of his attacks, ultimately, is to divide God's people. There was a vision that somebody had one time, and it always stuck with me, that there was... They were on like an island or something, but there was these different camps that were constantly trying to destroy each other. And in the vision, they were really churches. They were competing, and they were trying to destroy one another. And he said those that came up under that spiritual influence to try to destroy the churches, he said that he saw their eyes, and they were bloodshot, and he knew that it was the blood of Cain. It was like a spirit of murder, and they wanted to destroy their brothers. That is a spirit. It is a spirit. It's a demonic spirit that wants to destroy and tear down other Christians, other churches, other ministries. And that's a religious spirit. It is. Let's call it for what it is. We're in a spiritual battle. And what you're seeing is you'll see people, Paul said, to bring every thought captive. And what you're seeing is people that are allowing their minds to come into agreement with a religious spirit and they're persecuting others. Things they don't understand. Things they don't agree with. They were raised in a certain deception that maybe taught them against tongues, that maybe taught them against the power of God, that maybe taught them against other things, and so that that developed this spiritual stronghold in their mind. And now, even though it's obviously in the Bible, they can't hardly stand it. Why? Because they're under the influence of what the Bible calls a stronghold. This is the truth. Their mind has come into agreement with some demonic thing that is against the power of God. And the only way they're going to get delivered from that stronghold in their mind is to humble themselves and ask forgiveness for it and ask the Lord to break it out of their mind. It's a stronghold. 
And God is pouring out His Spirit. He's moving in power. He's giving us Book of Acts Christianity. The church started that way, and it's going to end that way. It doesn't matter if people like it or not. It started with the apostles, prophets, evangelists, pastors, teachers, and revival, the power of God, the supernatural. That's how it started, and that's how God's going to end it, whether you're with Him or against Him. It's still going to end that way, with or without you. But Satan is trying to, to cause people to have these strongholds in their mind against the move of God. And then what happens is they persecute it. And let me, let me give you a classic example of this in church history. When you look back at the great moves of God that have happened throughout all of church history, there has always been mighty moves of God where literally millions of people got saved. But then you also had religious Christian critics that hated the move of God, persecuted the move of God, and turned people away from the move of God. And they caused thousands, hundreds of thousands of people to be in hell right now while you're sitting in your chair. There are people underneath our feet down in fire right now because of those Christians that did not like the move of God. And they turned people away from the move of God. And they prevented people from getting into heaven that could have gotten saved. And let me tell you how. I'll give you a couple stories. During the Azusa Street Revival, William Seymour was going after God with all of his heart. And, and it was a great move of God. The baptism of the Holy Spirit, tongues, revival. People were getting saved. People were getting healed, delivered, creative miracles. Same thing you read in the book of Acts happening there in California. Okay, But there were people that didn't like the move of God. Just like they didn't like it in the book of Acts time. The Pharisees then didn't like it. The Pharisees now don't like it. Anyway, and so there were people that persecuted the move of God. Now I think it was G. Campbell Morgan. I can't remember. I think it was G. Campbell Morgan. He was an influential man. And he had been touched in the Welsh revival, but this revival was a little different. He didn't like Azusa Street. And he said, and I quote, it's the last vomit of Satan. Now, who would say that about a move of the Holy Spirit? But it's the same move of the Spirit that you read about in Wesley's meetings. You read about in Finney's meetings. You read about in all, all the moves of God, literally throughout all history, people falling, people shaking, people crying, people laughing, healings taking place, deliverances taking place. Of the super, somebody saw an angel. This happened. Somebody saw fire in the meeting, and it's just all these supernatural things. And the religious sit back, and go, "It's a bunch of demonic garbage." The last vomit of Satan, straight from the pit of hell. Stay away from it. But see, all the people that were being touched so powerfully in Azusa Street were getting on fire for God and getting Acts one eight clothed with power to be a witness, and were going all over the world, spreading the gospel and the fires of revival. And every a full gospel movement can be traced back to Azusa Street. That's just one example. I could give a lot of different revivals. But even though I love G. Campbell Morgan, I do believe he's in heaven. I believe that obviously we all know Azusa Street was of God now. So we all know he missed God. But here's what happened. All the young men and women that he influenced that could have went to Azusa Street and received that anointing, got clothed with power, and went out witnessing and won many, many souls, tens of thousands, hundreds of thousands of people to the Lord. All those souls ended up in hell because he used his influence to turn people against the revival. I don't want to be in his shoes on Judgment Day. All right, here's the litmus test. I've been giving you guys this from the beginning. Jesus said to the Pharisees and the Sadducees, well, to the Sadducees here, remember, Pharisee, Sadducee, the Sadducees don't believe in the resurrection. You guys will never forget that. All right, anyway, 
He said, you are in error because you do not know what the scriptures or the power of God. You have to know the scriptures. You have to know them for yourself. And you also have to know the power of God. Or you're going to be in error. All right. So, number one, you have to examine everything under the authority of God's word. Not religious prejudice and not pet doctrines, but what the Bible actually says. You bring everything under the authority of the scriptures. Does it line up with the words? You have to do that. Number two, you have to test the spirits by discernment, by the Holy Spirit, to know if it's of God or not. 1 John 4, 1. The only way that you're ever going to be able to test the spirits like the Bible says and know if it's of God or not is if you have a prayer life and you have fellowship with the Holy Spirit. So I'm not going to ask you to raise your hand, but how many of you guys have a strong prayer life and how many of you guys actually know the Holy Spirit as a person? That's a big question because Jesus made this crazy statement. He said, it's better that I go away. Now, everybody, when he said that, probably thought, what? (laughs) What was that? It's, it's, it's better that I go away because I will send the Holy Spirit, the Comforter. He will teach you all things. He'll remind you of things that I've taught you. He'll, he'll lead you into truth. He'll show you things to come. It's better that I go away. So God the Father is in heaven. In the very, very end, in the New Jerusalem, he'll be here on the earth. Jesus is at his right hand. And we know one day Jesus will come back and his feet touch the Mount of Olives. But he's not here now. So who's in this room? Who's in you? It's the Spirit. So you have to get to know the Holy Spirit. That's why Paul said in um, 2 Corinthians, I believe, uh, 13, 14. But he said that, I pray that um, the love of God and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with you all. It's the fellowship of the Holy Spirit. And that's why Jesus said that he'll be your comforter, your guide. And Paul said that you've got to be led by the Spirit. Those that are sons of God are led by the Spirit. The only way that you're going to be able to test if something is of God or not is going to be by knowing the Holy Spirit, and you know his presence, you know his voice, you know his leading. And so when there is another spirit at work, you will know that. But too many people don't have a prayer life and don't know the Holy Spirit on a personal level. And then number three, you examine the fruit of everything. This is important. What is the fruit? But you have to do all three of these. Because let me give you an example. I remember a couple weeks ago I talked about the Marian apparitions where this Mary spirit is appearing to people all over the world. All right. This spirit is appearing to people and there are signs and wonders that are happening. There are legitimate healings that are taking place. Like there was a cancerous tumor. It's gone. Different miracles, different supernatural things. And I heard this one priest say this, and I want y'all to remember this. They said, well, is, of God, is it of God or not? And this is what he said. He said, well, he said, if it's good, it's of God. If it's bad, it's of the devil. And he left it at that. You see the deception? In the Garden of Eden, there was a tree of the knowledge of both good and evil. It was not a good tree. Just because something's good does not mean it's God. A witch doctor can get somebody healed. He's not of God. Okay? Just because this apparition has signs and wonders. So how do you examine it? Because when you just look at the fruit... You just look at the fruit on a surface level, it looks good. So how do you know if it's of God or not? Then you go back, well, what, are, what is this spirit saying? And you remember that it was given all these messages that were totally against the Bible. So even though the fruit looks good, then you look over and say, does it line up with the scriptures? And it's opposed to scriptures, you throw it right out. 
Okay? So you have to do all three of these. You look for good fruit. You have to test the spirits, but you also have to know the Word of God. And everything has to line up with that. Does this make sense? There's some things in these last days are going to look good, but they're not God. All right. I'll start moving to a close. Last couple things. Spiritual signs of the times. I'm going to read you a prophecy by the, man, by the name of a man, Stanley Frodshams, who traveled with Smith Wigglesworth in New York of summer, New York summer of 1965. I'll read you just a little bit. This is a long prophecy. This guy, the Spirit of God came upon him, and he went on and on, man. It was long. It was good, but I was in a reading. This is a book. This is a mini book, okay? So I went through for the sake of time and just copy and pasted the stuff I felt you need to hear. But here's some signs of our times. The Bible predicts there would come a day when people do not put up with sound doctrine, but instead, to suit their own desires, they'll gather around themselves a great number of teachers who say what their itching ears want to hear. You're living in a time where you're seeing that fulfilled right now. Think about it. These prophecies are 2,000 years old. You're seeing 2,000-year-old prophecies come to pass in front of your eyes when sometimes certain people you come on TV and they're, they're preaching messages that just simply are itching people's ears. That's it. They're not telling them the truth. And then, of course, I mentioned earlier the great falling away that's happening in our time. The seducing spirits and doctrines of demons that's happening in our time and great deception. But listen to what Brother Frodsham said. He said, back in 1965, when I visit my people in a mighty revival power, it is to prepare them for the darkness that lies ahead. We need this power. You understand that? With the glory shall come great darkness, for the glory is to prepare my people for that darkness. I will enable my people to go through because of a mighty visitation of my spirit. See, it's going to be the mighty visitation of the spirit that helps us endure these end times. Okay? Take heed to yourselves, lest you are puffed up and think that you've already arrived. Pride right there. Many will be puffed up in that hour as in the days of old, for many... Uh, then did receive my message, but they did not continue in it. Did I not anoint Jehu? Yet the things I desired would not accomplish in his life. Listen to the messengers that I will send. But do not hold any man's personality in admiration. For many whom I shall anoint mightily with signs and wonders shall become lifted up and put on a pedestal, but they'll fall by the wayside. I do not do this willingly, for I have made provision that they might stand. What is the provision that we might stand? Humility. It's, it's available. It's a fruit of the Spirit. It's available. If they would have humbled themselves, they wouldn't have fell away. And then he said, they, speaking to these ministers that were mightily anointed, but they got in deception. Pride got them into deception. They started good. Their sermons were good at one time. Now they're in error. And that's scary to think because now they have a great following. And now they're beginning to move in error. You see? He said, they will turn many of the anointed ones away. Many shall fall through diverse lusts. And because sin abounds in their lives, many shall come with seducing spirits and hold out lustful enticements. You will find that after I've evicted my people again, uh, the way shall become more and more narrow. And few there are that shall walk therein. There is a narrow road in there. Be not deceived. It is not the... It is the way of the righteous that is my way. That's what you always got to think about. 
People are always trying to condone all these different things, but it is the way of righteousness that is the ways of God. For those Satan will come as an angel of light, do not listen to him. For those that perform miracles and speak not righteousness are not of me. Did y'all hear that? They perform miracles, but they're not preaching righteousness anymore. Those that have large crowds that follow them, but speak not of purifying and holiness are not of me. I warn you with great intensity that I'm going to judge my house and have a church without spot or wrinkle when I come. This is a word of the Lord. This man, the spirit of God was on this man and he, he, this is the prophetic word from the Lord. There shall come deceivers among my people, people in increasing numbers who speak for the truth and shall gain the favor of the hearts of the people for the people shall examine the scriptures and say, is not what this man says true? Then when they have gained the hearts of the people, then and only then shall they bring out their wrong doctrines. Therefore, I say to you and warn you, O people, do not give your hearts to men, nor hold people in admiration. For by these very persons shall Satan enter into my people. Watch out for seducers. Listen to this. If you will constantly look to the Lord Jesus, you will know when doctrine changes. You've got to keep your eyes on Jesus. You've got to examine the fruit. You've got to make sure it lines up with the word of God and you've got to test the spirits. All right, let me give you a couple more quick things. The glory of God. The glory and the anointing are completely different. They work together, but the anointing is God's clothing of power to do what Jesus did on the earth. Jesus said, you will do greater things than I did because I go to the Father. What do you mean? He's going to send the Spirit. He said, you will do greater works. That's what he said. All right. So we have the anointing to do what God wants us to do, what Jesus did in the earth, but the glory of God is his manifest presence. I've taught on this before, so I'm going to go real fast on some of this, but Adam and Eve were made in God's image, and it says they were naked and knew no shame. Naked there in Hebrew was Arom, A-R-O-M, partially nude. What in the world was clothing them? It was the glory of God, the light, the wrapped in light that in Psalms it talks about. And then after they ate the fruit, it says they were naked and they sowed fig leaves why all of a sudden are they sowing fig leaves why because the hebrew word is erom e-r-o-m which means completely nude so when adam and eve were creating god's image they were wrapped like psalm says god wraps himself in light they were wrapped in the glory they were naked physically but they had the glory on them when they sinned the glory lifted and they were ashamed okay so the glory of God is his weighty manifest presence in our midst. And the Bible talks about the, the Hebrew word for glory is kabod, and it means weightiness. How many of you guys, when we've prayed in here, have felt a heavy, weighty black blanket come on you? Okay, most of you. That's the glory. Okay, it's not necessarily the anointing. The anointing is like an electric, it's explosive, it's powerful. It's, it's like the power of God hitting That's the anointing. But the glory, there's this weightiness about the glory. It's like a blanket that comes on you. And I used to laugh at the stories John Kilpatrick told in the revival at Brownsville. The glory would come on him so strong for months. He would just go out, you know, on the platform. (laughs) Steve Hill's son said, man, because they had to wheel the man out. Steve Hill's son said, man, I thought people were supposed to get out of wheelchairs when you come to church, not get put in them, you know. But it was the glory that was on him and he couldn't function. The glory is awesome. And um, also another Hebrew word for the glory is Shekinah, and it means the shining or the brightness. So when the glory comes, there's a thick, heavy presence, and there's a shining. That's God's manifest presence.
presence. Okay? Why is the glory so important? Here's a couple things. I want you to remember this the rest of your life. If you really feel the glory in a place, that's a good sign. Because they can be anointed and still be in sin. It'll, it'll, it'll fade, but they can still function in gifts and be in sin. But God will not let his glory be where things are not right. Remember that. They may still operate in gifts to the Spirit and see people healed. They may still have somewhat of an anointing, though it may be fading. But the glory of God will not be, will not be where things are in sin. I'm trying to help you not be deceived where you're at. And what you're around, okay? The Bible says, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory. It doesn't say all have sinned and fall short of the gifts of the Spirit. Or all have sinned and fall short of the anointing. It doesn't say that. It says the glory. Why? Because where there's sin, the glory will not remain there. The glory will leave. And quickly so. Why is the glory such a big deal that we need the glory in our midst? Isaiah 4, 4 says, when the Lord has washed away the filth, of the daughters of Zion and purged the bloodshed from Jerusalem from her midst by the spirit of judgment and a spirit of burning. Then the Lord will create over all of Mount Zion and all of her assemblies a cloud by day, even smoke and a brightness of a flaming fire by night. For all, over all, the glory will be a canopy. There will be a shelter to give shade from the heat of the day and a refuge and protection from the storm and the rain. You know what God's doing? Those people that will will seek having the glory in their lives. The glory of God is settling over people and settling over their homes. But your home has to be clean. It's not going to settle if there's sin in your home. It's settling over churches to protect in these last days, to protect you. We as a church in River of Life are going to continue to get deeper in the glory. That's what's coming. And the glory will be a defense. That's going to be a lot of why the healings are increasing and things are increasing. And that glory, a lot happens. It's awesome. But here's the warning. Even in extreme glory, sin will be exposed, healing will be easy, provision supernatural, all of that. But even in extreme glory, remember that Lucifer still fell. Isn't that something? The description of Lucifer makes you think It just makes you think when you read in Ezekiel, Isaiah, and you kind of put the pieces together. It makes you think that he had something to do with worship because he was created with tabrets and pipes within him. And he was an anointed cherub. Okay, that is an angel, but it's a class of angel called a cherubim. He was a cherubim. And he walked in the manifest presence of God. These were the beings that were around the throne. And in that glory... Even in that thick, awesome glory, he was still lifted up with pride and fell. Isn't that something? Adam and Eve, they were literally living in heaven on earth. And they fell. Why? Because the serpent told them you can be like God. And they got lifted up with pride. Eve did and ate the fruit. So even though the glory will be amazing... You better watch out because the the demonic attack against the glory is Leviathan and it's a spirit of pride. Y'all know about Leviathan. I've preached on it. What comes against the spirit of Elijah, the Holy Spirit? When he comes as the spirit of Elijah, what comes against that prophetic, fiery, 
revelation anointing. The spirit of Jezebel. What comes against the glory? It's Leviathan. My warning, and I've preached this before to no avail. Still had some people get sucked in to certain things. They're no longer here. But watch out for Leviathan because even in extreme glory and revival, that thing can easily take you down. I don't know how else to say this. It's not going to sound real, you know, but if you want the mother of all beatdowns from the devil, get prideful. Get prideful. You want to do a scary, scary study in the Bible, do a study on pride. It brings shame, the Bible says, dishonor. It causes people to fall into sin. And the Bible says it brings great destruction. That's what it says. All right, so how do you defeat Leviathan? By yourself, you can't. The only way that you really truly defeat Leviathan is you humble yourself down in repentance before God, down in the dirt. And then God will dismantle that thing and break it off your life, okay? In that day, the Lord will punish. The Lord will punish. The Lord who fights your battle will punish Leviathan, the fleeing serpent, with his fierce, great, and mighty sword, even Leviathan, the twisted serpent, and he will kill the dragon who lives in the sea. Look at Job 41. Let me, let me start moving to a close. Look at this. It says, can you draw a Leviathan with a fish hook or press down his tongue with a cord? Can you put a rope around his nose or pierce his jaw with a hook? You know, in the Bible, Leviathan is like the sea monster. Okay, picture this huge, and I mean huge, crocodile or something, except it has many, many heads. I'm trying to paint a picture for the young people. Some crazy dragon thing in the sea with multiple heads bobbing around, okay, that's the picture of Leviathan. Because the sea represents humanity, if you understand biblical symbolism. So the Lord's saying, do you think that you're going to play with Leviathan? you think you're going to put a rope around its neck and take it in your backyard and play with it? you think you're going to put a hook through it and it's going to, you're going to put it in a cage like a bird? It's going to be your pet? And seriously, he's saying this. Will you make a covenant with Leviathan? Will will he be your servant? Will you play with him like a bird? Are you going to be able to fill his skin with harpoons or fishing spears? The Lord says you lay your hand upon him and you will remember the battle and you'll never do it again. Behold, your expectation is false. Will you be laid low even at the sight of him? No one is so fierce that he dares to arouse Leviathan. Who then is he that can stand before me? who has given to me that I should repay him. Whatever is under heaven is mine. The Lord's rebuking Job. But let me give you some descriptions here. Verse 13, who can strip off his outer armor? Who can come within his double mail? This is his scales. Who can open the doors to his face or around his teeth? And these strong scales are his pride. It shuts up and seals tight so that no air gets in between them. You know what that is? When somebody is wrapped up in a Leviathan spirit, It's like these spiritual scales. You can't see it with your natural eyes, but it's around them. And the Spirit of God cannot get through to them, and they have a hard time feeling God's presence. Everybody else around them feels God. They don't. Because the scales of that thing are wrapped around them, all the way around like a cocoon, and it's so tight together, like locked together, that the wind of the Spirit isn't getting through to them. Now listen to verse 18. His sneezes flash forth light. His eyes are like the eyelids of the morning. Out of his mouth goes burning torches, sparks, 
of fire leap forth. Out of his nostrils, smoke goes. Um, His breath kindles coals. Flames come out of his mouth. So what is that? Some people believe that that is a counterfeit revelation. Counterfeit move of the Spirit. Counterfeit things that are kind of conjured up in charisma. Do you know there's people that charismatically can whip up a crowd? They can get everybody screaming and shouting and there's no anointing at all. But they got people jumping around all excited and they whip people up. That's like this. It's false fire. It's counterfeit. This folds of his flesh are joined together firm on him and immovable. His heart is hard as a stone. Even his heart is a lower mil, I'm sorry, millstone. Anyway, it goes on. But the point is, if you read the last part, verse 33, nothing on earth is like him, one made without fear. He looks on everything that is high. He is the king over all the sons of pride. Let me read that again. He is the king over all the sons of pride. So in other words, pride has enabled him, has enabled Leviathan to sit like a king over people's lives. Their pride has given him a throne over them. Where Jesus should have that place, Leviathan has that place and has him wrapped up in a stronghold because of pride. And this can be fiercely generational. So I'm warning you. You may think, I'm in revival. I'm getting touched by God. I'm in the glory. I'm operating in the gifts. I'm going out on the streets. We're praying for people. Pain's leaving them. They're getting healed. We're seeing demons come out of people. We're seeing Book of Acts Christianity. Oh, it's so awesome. God's using me great. And then you end up falling farther than you ever thought you could ever fall. Disgraced, destroyed, humiliated because you got lifted up in pride and Leviathan whipped you. And when Leviathan whips you, it's, it's a whipping that you won't forget. Is this a warning? So we better stay very humble. Because even in great glory, people can get lifted up with pride. In fact, they tend to get lifted up in pride. It's Jesus that deserves all the glory. When somebody gets healed because we lay hands, the Bible says you'll lay hands on the sick and they'll recover. That's no great feat. That should be normal. Just because somebody gets healed when you laid hands on a big deal, somebody else could have laid hands. It's Jesus is the one that healed them, not your hands. When you drive a demon out of somebody, that's no great thing. It's the name of Jesus that drives out the demon, not your super spirituality. All right, let me close with these things about Israel, and then uh, we'll pray for people that want prayer. But I'm just looking at some things that concern me for America. In the days, of he- days ahead, the temple is going to be rebuilt. The Antichrist will sit in that temple, declare himself to be God, and when Jesus comes back, he will reign from the temple in Jerusalem on the Temple Mount. That temple. Not another temple. That temple. So we know that the battle has gone from the land to Jerusalem now to the Temple Mount. That's why all the fuss is there, because Satan knows, Bible prophecy, and he knows that Jesus is coming back. And in times past, I'm going to give you some stories real quick of what Satan has done against the Jews. But Jesus said that when you see the abomination of desolation, which was spoken of through Daniel the prophet, standing in the holy place. So the abomination is that the Antichrist says, I'm God in the temple. That's an abomination. And he's going to unleash his fury on the Jews. Here's a couple quick stories of how Satan has done it in times past. In Rome... From 117, or 175 through 164 B.C., in Titius Epiphanes, 
hated the Jews. He was a ruler. He killed over 100,000 Jewish people. He despised the Jews. In his passion to destroy the Jews, he killed a pig on the Jewish altar to defile it and set up a statue of the Greek god Jupiter to be worshipped in the temple of the Lord. Doesn't that sound like the Antichrist? It's interesting that the same anti-Semitic spirit has been at work for a long time. The Antichrist is going to do things that are very similar to others that have done it way before. General Titus in AD 70, remember, Jerusalem was annihilated. Jewish people were, were killed, crucified, and scattered all over the earth. But he was sent to Jerusalem to crush the Jewish resistance against Rome. Jerusalem was viciously destroyed. The temple leveled. The Jews banished. Titus slaughtered and crucified hundreds of thousands of Jews. Doesn't that sound like what the Antichrist will do one day? Emperor Hadrian in 117 AD promised the Jews peace and he would rebuild their temple. Doesn't that sound like the Antichrist who promises a peace treaty with Israel? In AD 130, Hadrian broke his promise to the Jews to rebuild Jerusalem, but rather he named the city Aelia Capitolina. Aela was his second name and was an act of emperor worship. He wanted people worshiping him. And Capitolina was a reminder that the city was filled with Roman pagan gods and to worship those gods. A statue of Jupiter was erected in Mount Zion, desecrating the holy temple. Hadrian followed in the footsteps of Antiochus Epiphanes by tormenting the Jews. He wanted to wipe out the Jews. He made it illegal for circumcision. He made it illegal for people to observe the Sabbath. He made it illegal to pray in the synagogue in an effort to cause the Jews to just become Roman and lose their Jewishness. He was trying to wipe them out. He he was the one that renamed Judea Palestine in honor to the Philistines in an attempt to do away with the Jews. Years later, in our lifetime, or at least close to our generation, not my lifetime, but Hitler hated the Jews and sought their annihilation through the Holocaust. And of course, the Antichrist will be a counterfeit Messiah that will promise them peace. And it'll look good for a short time, but eventually, in that rebuilt temple, he's going to set himself up as God. He's going to demand worship. He's going to have a statue there to worship of himself. And the Jewish people are going to revolt. And then he's going to unleash his military and slaughter. A lot of theologians believe two-thirds of the Jews will die before Jesus comes. From the time the Antichrist releases his military against them, there'll be a massacre and they'll be fleeing to the nations probably, but they'll be fleeing to probably what is now Petra in Jordan. But I believe the Jewish people will take that land and it'll be in their land one day, but they'll flee. And by the time they leave until Jesus comes, there's probably only going to be about a third of them still alive. But Jesus said the days would be so bad, no flesh would survive except those days were cut short. And for the elect's sake, which is the Jewish people in this case, it's going to be cut short so that there are a remnant there when he comes. Now, this is what concerns me about America. Soon after God promises Abraham, I will bless those that bless you and curse those that curse you. You see stories in the Bible and through history of people that chose blessings and people that chose curses 
Now, let me give you an example. How many knows when God says, I will curse those that curse you, Abraham? How many knows that God actually meant what he said? He has the power to carry it out, and he will do it. He's not a liar, and he's not a man that he should change his mind. Okay? You read that King Abimelech of Egypt took Sarah to be his wife. Remember that? He didn't know. Abraham had told him it was his sister. And so he takes her because she's pretty and takes her into his harem. And while he goes to sleep one night, God appears to this evil man in a dream and says, Abimelech, you are a dead man. You have taken a wife that is married to Abraham. If you don't give her back, I'm going to kill you. And Abimelech got up the next day, or it says early in the morning, he rose. <laughs> How many knows when you hear from God, you're dead. You better get up or you're dead. You're going to get up early the next morning. And uh, he didn't just give Sarah back. He just lavished all these gifts on Abraham, said, here, man, I'm going to give you wealth. I'm going to give you all these horses, donkeys, whatever. Just get out of here, man. Just go. But God wasn't playing when he said, I will curse those that curse you. Joseph came in and he brought the Jewish people into Egypt in the land of Goshen. And while Egypt blessed the Jewish people, Egypt was blessed. But whenever they cursed the Jewish people and killed their children, it was the downfall for Egypt. Wasn't it? Remember that? They threw all those babies in the Nile. And God, it angered God. And that numbered their days right there. And to this day, Egypt has never been a superpower. At that time, Egypt was the world superpower. And God leveled their economy personally. God personally leveled their economy with these um, judgments that came. Persia threatened to annihilate the Jews. You remember the story of Esther when Haman tried to kill all the Jews and he, and he erected a, a gallows. And Haman ended up being hung on his own gallows because God said, Haman, I will curse those that curse Israel. You're going to hang on your own gallows, buddy. The Roman Empire loomed over a large portion of the world and continued to flourish for hundreds of years. Constantine became um, a, a ruler and he became a Christian and made Christianity the religion, the state adopted religion. But he was also anti Jewish in his laws. He embedded replacement theology in the church. And after that, the Roman Empire began to fall. Not only because of that, because also the Romans. Romans Um, slaughtered Jews and scattered among the nations and God took them down. Amen? I could keep going. Uh, The Crusades slaughtered the Jewish people. Remember that? The Roman Catholic Church slaughtered Jewish people and I'm sure many others other than Jewish. But after they did that, Europe had, had experienced then the bubonic plague it decimated much of Europe and England and France re-aimed their weapons against each other for the Hundred Years' War. And spiritual darkness came over Europe known as the Dark Ages. So after they slaughtered the Jews, that's what happened. A few centuries later, Spain. Spain tried to impose Catholicism on the Jews and make them convert. The Jews wouldn't have it. They expelled the Jews out of Spain in 1492. And God judged Spain and they lost their economic prowess. You remember Spain was a superpower at that time. You've got to understand. 
See, these world superpowers were brought down because of the way they treated the Jews. Approximately 500 years ago, many Jewish people migrated to Great Britain. And at first, Great Britain was very receptive to the Jews. And they were the ones that initiated the Balfour Declaration and allowed the Jewish people to start going back to their homeland. But after all that was set in motion and things looked so good, they started getting some persecution from the Arabs, the Muslims. And the Muslims were saying, we don't, we don't like the Jews coming back. And so then, Britain started giving the Muslims weapons and opposed the Jews going back home. And God brought down Britain. And Britain has never been the superpower that it was at that time, since that day. The Soviet Union was very powerful. But they were also very anti-Semitic. They had what was called pogroms, and it was riots that the Russian people would go into Jewish communities and for no reason would just beat them up, would burn their houses, burn their stores, and do these riots against the Jews. And God broke down the Soviet Union. In America, starting with George Bush Sr. in 1991, October the 30th, he began to have the Madrid peace talks where he wanted to give up land for peace. And Joel specifically says, do not divide my land. It couldn't be more clear. But George Bush decided he was going to divide the land of Israel and he was going to give it to the Palestinians. Let me read you what happened. Syria Syria and Palestinian delegates demanded Israel to give up land for peace. This was supported by George Bush. On October 30th, a powerful storm began developing off the coast of Nova Scotia. The storm was never classified as a hurricane because it sustained winds only at 73 miles an hour. The storm was extremely rare. It traveled over 1,000 miles from the, from the east to the west. The, pat, the weather pattern for the U.S. is westward to eastward. The storm was called extratropical because it didn't originate in the tropics, as most hurricanes do. Because of these descriptions, the storm was not looked at seriously as it should have been on October 31st. This ferocious storm smashed into New England. The storm was described as a monster As it was 100 miles wide, the storm was later called the perfect storm. And a book and a movie was made about it. A book was written. Much damage was done. Damage to George Bush Sr.'s home. As he messed with Israel. God brought judgment on America. That's the first one. In August 1992, the Madrid Peace Conference moved to Washington. The nations involved felt the United States was better location for the negotiations. United States representatives were acting. Secretary of State Lawrence Eagleburger. The New York Times quoted Eagleburger that um, the opening talks as follows. The peace talks are resuming in context an Israeli government that is prepared to be far more than forthcoming. He predicted an issue in Palestine's self-rule. Anyway, it resulted in Hurricane Andrew. Y'all remember Hurricane Andrew? Smashed into the southern Florida Hitting Louisiana a few days later, Hurricane Andrew was one of the worst natural disasters up to this time to ever hit America. The storm left 180,000 people homeless, caused $30 billion in damage. Uh, On September the 1st, 1993, a front-page headline, New York Times read, Israel and PLO ready to declare joint recognition. You know what that resulted in when uh, we messed with Israel again? Hurricane Emily. Those that remember that. President Clinton picked up this, started doing the same thing, January 16, 1994. Met in Geneva with Syria's dictator. 
The newspapers quoted President Clinton as saying Israel must make concessions that will be politically unpopular with many Israelis. Talking about giving land for peace. And a powerful 6.8 magnitude earthquake rocked Los Angeles area. 13 Northridge was the center of the quake and about 25 miles downtown Los Angeles. This powerful quake caused an estimated $25 billion worth of damage. In 2000, many of you remember Hurricane Katrina. George W. Bush pressures Israel to give up the Gaza Strip, which was the dumbest move Israel ever made. And that, you know, they hadn't really not given up land up until that point, but they gave up the Gaza Strip. Prime Minister Errol Sharon agrees to this. There's been nothing but difficulties because of this decision. Israel constantly faces rockets from Gaza. On a regular basis, Errol Sharon suffered a brain hemorrhage and went into a coma after this. And Bush had to deal with Hurricane Katrina. Gaza was a seaside city with helicopters rescuing Jews off their rooftops. And we saw with our own eyes on the news, we saw a seaside city in our nation flooded and destroyed with helicopters rescuing people off their rooftops in New Orleans. When you're dealing with Israel, you're dealing with an eye for an eye and judgment comes swiftly. When you're dealing with the church, you're dealing with grace. But when you're dealing with Israel, you're dealing with an eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth and judgment comes swiftly. Joel 3.2 condemns dividing the land of Israel. I said all that to say that I'm concerned because we have a president that's making statements like Israel should return to its pre-1967 borders and he, him and John Kerry have been pressuring Israel to consider giving up parts of Jerusalem and they've been pressuring them that you can't build in Jerusalem. And I'm going to tell you, if they keep pressuring Israel, remember what the prophets have seen. There have been different prophets that are credible that have seen an earthquake hit that Madrid fault line and how ironic and how much of a prophetic message it would be to America if God actually did send an earthquake on that Madrid fault line right in the middle of our nation and it did cause mass destruction when America began this whole stupid thing about land for, pre- land for peace in Madrid, Spain. That God would finish this judgment on the Madrid fault line and say, I'm tired of it. You guys have pushed me and pushed me and pushed me. And you know what? America may not can handle any more of this economically without really having some struggles. Amen? We need to be blessing America. But I'm going to say this. I don't know what's coming with the blood moons and all that. Historically, when you see the patterns, um, you know, I've already explained all of it, but I encourage you to be ready for the days ahead. Don't panic. Don't be afraid. But you need to make provisions. Okay? You need to have some, some food that's non-perishables and some water and just be ready for the days ahead because you don't know what it holds. Okay? And Zephaniah 2, 3 says, Seek the Lord, all you humble the earth. You have carried out his ordinances. Seek righteousness, seek humility, and you'll be hidden in the days of the Lord's wrath. Went a little long tonight because there was a lot to cover. We've got to get this stuff preached, guys. This is serious. Whatever you need to get right with God, don't put it off. Make sure that you're getting things right with God. Are you hearing me? Whatever you need to do to get things right with people, if you've sinned against people, if you've wronged people, if you've done something, you need to go back and make things right. The coming of the Lord is near. And as far as the rapture is concerned, it could happen at any time. There's no other prophecies to be fulfilled before that. Three-fourths of Bible prophecy is fulfilled. And the, the remaining can be fulfilled quickly, both with the church and Israel. So whatever sin, whatever you need to get right with God, we've got to get things right. And that's what I want to do tonight. I want to pray about that. If there's people that you've wronged, if there's things in your past that you need to make a phone call, 
that you need to contact somebody and apologize and make things right with them. We've got to get these things done. And let me encourage you, you better stay in revival and get extra oil. I marvel at the lack of understanding. Now listen, we need the move of God. We need, the Bible says you need the extra oil. If you're wise, you're going to have extra oil. We need the outpouring of the Holy Spirit. There's a bride that's being prepared for Christ's coming, washed in the blood of Jesus, washed in the water of the word, and purged with the fire of the Spirit of God. So Lord, I pray right now that you would convict by your Spirit. Lord, I'm asking you to bring things to our minds that we need to deal with, that there's sin in our lives, that there's people that we need to make things right. How can we get ready for the coming of the Lord? And not only that, but we have lost loved ones that are not right. If they should die tonight, they're not ready to step into eternity with Jesus. They're in a dangerous place. We have got to be watchmen on the walls that will pray, that will fast, that will seek God for their soul, and that God will have mercy, and he will because he'll answer our prayers. But it's our responsibility. Don't think it's just going to happen. You better pray them in. You can't just think, well, you know, they'll just get right. No, you've got to pray them in. Really seek God that the Spirit of God will begin to move in their life and draw them unto the Father and convict them of sin. And what's about to come in this nation and what's about to happen in River of Life, you remember that I know this with everything in me. There's a sovereign move of God where the Spirit of God is going to sovereignly move and convict the lost. And we're going to see a supernatural harvest in America and River of Life. We have a supernatural harvest God's going to give us. We're going to cast our net on the other side of the boat. We've been fishing and fishing and catching some fish here and there. But we're about to cast our net on the other side and get a big harvest. And it's going to be by the Spirit of God. Okay? So I want you to find a place where you're at right now. And I want you to pray. And I want you to seek God about making sure everything's right. If there's any people that you need to make things right with, let's get it right. Brother Zach, can you play some, some music for me? And I want us to find a place. Those that are live streaming, make an altar where you're at. Let's get things right with God. Let's prepare for the coming of the Lord. I want to be washed in the blood of Jesus. I want to be washed in the water of the word. I want to be sanctified by the fire of the Holy Spirit. And then we'll pray for people that want prayer tonight. I know many people, you do want prayer, we'll make sure and pray for everybody, okay?